Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, July 19th, 2021, and we are going to call this episode 26A++. Um, I do apologize for the absence over the past week. The last episode that I was able to put up was 10 days ago on the 9th uh, for episode 25B. Uh, I did kind of mention that my husband and I might be moving. Yes, clearly, we, we that's where I've been. We have moved about an hour north of where we were previously. It has been a whirlwind of a week or so. Um, but we're here, and I'm back, and we're back, and I'm happy that we're here, and I'm happy you're here. Um, and thank you for showing up and listening again after I just kind of disappeared for a little while. Since I have been gone for a week or bit, uh, 10 days, I guess, uh, we're going to have a bit of a long episode here. I will try and do my best to put some timestamps in the description, and um, if I can, and if I remember, I will uh, record the lengths of each, each clip, um, of each section, I should say, of the podcast. So if you want to skip around to hear different things, hopefully you'll be able to do that. Before I get into what we'll be discussing this week, um, I just a friendly reminder, if you do get any kind of enjoyment um, that you find to be worth anything from this podcast, please check out if you would like. Uh, you don't have to, of course, there's no requirement. I don't put ads in my website, I don't put ads in this podcast, but you can check out uh, my podcast Patreon program, which I do now have. It's just under Sensational she geek um there's no tiers or anything like that you could just put in whatever amount you want to do on a monthly basis if you feel like this podcast is worth the cost of a po- of a movie ticket of a comic book of a streaming service whatever amount of enjoyment however big or small you feel this is worthy of um that would be the best way to go about supporting the podcast at this time uh, and thank you very much for, you know, <laughs> sitting through me peddling through that. Um, other places you can find me on social media. Uh, my podcast is, of course, available anywhere podcast stream minus Pandora, including YouTube, where I also have figure review videos. My action figures are still in boxes, so it may be <laughs> some time before anything else goes up on YouTube besides podcast episodes, but I do have my desk and my computer and all of that set up now. We're going to be getting some sound proofing boards to put on the walls in here, so hopefully the sound quality will get better since there is a busy street, busy-ish street, just outside of me, outside of <laughs> this room. Oh boy. <laughs> Um, but anyway, um, you can also find me, that that was YouTube, you can also find me um, online, my website, which as I said does not have ads of any kind, is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. It's got the Weebly in there because I do not pay for uh, the domain. <laughs> uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Savage she Geek, or Instagram, Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I do have the comics. I could actually tell you, but I forgot how many boxes of comics I moved in here. We have six long boxes and something like 13 or 14 short boxes. <laughs> comics are heavy. <laughs> we need to purge some comics. But anyway, 
Um, enough of all of that. This week's, today's comic book podcast episode is going to be very large, and here is what we're going to be covering. We're going to start off with the Black Widow movie review, because I feel like that is a pretty, pretty heggy fee hitter, and it will be the longest segment that we have, uh, more than likely. I, I mean, yeah, it will definitely be the longest segment that we have in this. So if you want to hear any kind of uh, backstory on characters, any kind of Easter egg information, uh, any explanations, uh, all of that will be in this discussion to the best of my ability. I, I did some research, you know, I, I found stuff out. I watched the movie twice now, so <laughs> um, I hope that you, whatever it is you're looking for about the movie, uh, I hope you find that in this discussion. And after that, we have another Marvel title, and that is Loki, the finale, episode six. We will be discussing that as well. Same thing, reactions, uh, 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 <laughs> Um, just general discussion of all the Easter eggs, uh, things to look forward to, theories of things going forward. Hopefully my brain won't short out like that too many times in this podcast episode. Um, I got a lot of notes in front of me, so let's hope not. Um, and then the last, um, watchable thing that we're going to be discussing... Uh, the Bad Batch has had two episodes that premiered on the 9th and the 16th, episode 11 and 12. These were episode 11 more than episode 12, very different than any of the other episodes so far. Uh, we will talk all about that and why it was kind of cool to see this different side of things that we saw. Um, after all of this movie and TV talk, which really makes me look like a big old Marvel plebe. Uh, we will discuss our comic book things for the week, which we have uh, a honestly fairly short comic book recap. I picked the things that stood out to me the absolute most of the last week's comic books, um, and I will go over what all of those were. We didn't really get to do a pull list for last week, but this is like my kind of miniature pick list because this is going to be such a long podcast. And we also have the comic book pull list for this week, which is things that are coming out on the 20th and 21st. We have a good number of things on here to discuss um, and a lot of really, really exciting stuff. So I'm very, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that comic book discussion as well. Uh, the comic book segment will wrap up with DC October comic book solicitations. See, I swear I'm not just a Marvel fan. I love it all. I have I have a love hate relationship with it all. That's more that's more accurate. Um, <laughs> we, uh, there's a lot of stuff that is starting in October for DC Comics. There's a lot of stuff that is continuing with really interesting and new plot lines for DC Comics. And there are a lot of things that I generally enjoy or find notable that are going to be continuing uh, through October. That I will also note. This is not going to be anywhere near all the stuff that they put out for a single month solicitations. That would take me all day, um, but it's, it's the stuff that I find interesting and relevant in some way. After all the comic book stuff and the comic book segment, we have one more segment really that's relevant, and that will be the Hasbro Haslabs. I know everybody probably knows about Galactus, but there's actually another Haslab that's coming this year. I think later this fall, potentially. I'm not really sure about the dates, but it is more or less confirmed as to happening, and we will talk about what that is and what it's for when we get to that point in the podcast. Um, I kind of want to wrap up the episode today, if you will allow me, uh, to discuss a little bit about what's, um, 
what it is that has caught, driven my husband and I to make this uh, move. <laughs> um, because it is something that I think a lot of people would relate to in, in some way. Um, I personally know a lot of people who relate to it, so uh, maybe we'll go over that just a bit because it's it's a fact of life and it's 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 definitely affected this podcast. I had a whole week without doing episodes, without even being able to put out an episode saying, hey, I can't put out an episode because of this, because I have been that busy because of all of this stuff. Um, but we're here, we're good. Um, some of us are queer and that's cool too. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. If you listen all the way to the end, there will be that wrapping things up. Um, but in in any case, thank you for whatever portion of this comic book podcast that you listen to. Uh, as I said, I will try to give you, um, the the time signatures, the time stamps, whatever you want to call them for which section is at what point in time. If you just want to skip around to those specific parts. Um, and again, thank you for listening for whatever amount of time that you do and for supporting the podcast, even if it's just by listening. I always appreciate that. All right, let's talk Black Widow. Um, first things off, as everything on this podcast will have, this is going to be total spoilers. If you haven't seen Black Widow and you're looking for a non-spoiler review or something that's only going to give you an idea about the movie, I'm going to be talking about it a lot in detail. Um... Please don't stop listening for that. I, I'm, I'm going to try and not be really long-winded about it, I swear. Um, <laughs> but we will be talking about all kinds of spoilers, all kinds of theories, all kinds of aftermath, and my my minimal gripes, which it, it, when it comes down to it, they are very minimal. Um, we'll see how I, if, how I feel about that in a year, because I would probably have said the same thing upon leaving the theater after seeing Captain Marvel, and I definitely would not say that now. I have much more gripes than I thought at that point in time. But I've seen this movie twice already, and I think I enjoyed it better on the second time than the first. Um, Great stuff. All great stuff. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Um, This obviously came out on Disney+, and in theaters that I guess are around here somewhere on July the 9th. So you've had almost, you've had about a week and a half to watch it. Um, again, don't, don't listen to this if you don't want it spoiled and don't complain about it afterward. Do people actually complain about those things? (laughs) They must, because you always hear people saying, don't complain about it if I spoil it for you because I'm warning you. I, I don't know, it must happen somewhere. Um, but anyway, it came out on the 9th. Uh, I watched it on Disney Plus with Premiere Access, not because I am a, you know, corporate bootlicker, but because I don't like movie theaters uh, for personal reasons <laughs> that we don't need to get into right now. But um, especially with everything that's been going on in the world in the past year plus, I, I just kind of feel like, you know, my husband and I had it set up really well. We kind of had our own little movie theater set up. We had food, we had drinks, we had everything you could want. Uh, exact temperature we want, exact sound level we want. Yeah, I, I, that's, I don't see how a theater could beat that unless you were renting out the entire theater to yourself. So, um, and I've, I've, I've already gone through several times, I think, why it is not ridiculous that Disney is charging $30 for premiere access on Disney Plus for this movie on top of a membership. I don't really want to go into that, but basically you're saving money by doing that instead of going to a theater. There you go. 
<laughs> you're, uh, you're unless you're just planning on on pirating it, in which case pirate it anyway. It doesn't make a difference to you, right? So, um, yeah, it, it, let's move on to an actual movie. Um, main takeaways. Let's see. Main takeaways. Loved it. Um, my gripes, I think I want to wait till the end of this discussion to get into because they more or less are brought up at that point. Um, so we'll kind of get into that We'll wait to the end to kind of get into that. Uh, things that I absolutely loved about this, and we're gonna we're gonna spoil the city. We're gonna spoil. We're gonna be spoiler city right now. It's been a long week. Uh, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, absolutely. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see her in anything. I, everything. She's she is snarky, um, funny. She plays a good you know, little sister character. Uh, she plays a good adult wounded child character, um, if that makes sense. She plays a great Russian. <laughs> I believe she's British. Um, I don't know if it's the first thing I've seen her in, but I am, consider me impressed. Florence Pugh uh, did a phenomenal job with this movie. Um, I, I think she was probably the character who was able to capture the most emotion. Um, Nat was, she was pretty good, but there was, she took, she had kind of had it at another level. Um, and she was, she was hilarious. Um, she had, she definitely had the best lines of the movie without a doubt. You know, Natasha saying at one point, you can't just steal a guy's car. And she says, so do you want me to chase him down and unsteal it? <laughs> good point. Like, it's too late. The damage has been done. Why bother bitching about it? <laughs> Griping. Uh, you know, at one point she, she gets wounded and great plan. I love the part where I almost bled to death. <laughs> it's funny, okay? It's context. It's funny. Uh, she calls out, this was probably my absolute favorite part of the movie. We'll see if I say that again in this, in this uh, segment, but uh, she at one point calls Nat out for the superhero landing pose. They call them out for it. It was a whole third wall thing in Deadpool, right? They bring it into this because she makes a great point. Yelena, she brings it up as, why are you always doing this, like, tossing your hair thing? Um, like, like you're posing. Why are you posing when you land? It's like you're, you're posing for pictures. And she's, that's a good point. They really do. She's a model superhero. <laughs> And and she even goes as far as to try it out herself at one point and just doesn't get it. She doesn't like it. Uh, she also has that modified vest, which we do see in Infinity War, uh, the greenish vest. Uh, and her her love for that vest is so pure and and great. Um, and then when she flies the helicopter and kind of is is like struggling a little bit, and she looks up and sees Nat yelling at her. Yes, we're both doing a really good job. <laughs> I just think she's funny, okay? Uh, she was definitely my favorite part of the movie. David Harbour as uh, Red Guardian was another... I, I knew it was going to be good, but he, he blew me away as Red Guardian. And that part of that was because of the changes that they made for Red Guardian. Um, I don't think he would have been as interesting if they had not made those changes, which we'll get to when we get there. Uh, Melina, who is Iron Maiden in the comics... She's played by Rachel Weiss or Weiss Weiss. 
Um, she was really great too. She had a pretty cool character arc and she had some really neat moments of that would surprise you when it happens. So uh, great acting across the board. Obviously Scarlett Johansson is, you know, Black She's been Black Widow for, oh God, has it been a decade? It's been over a decade. Was that 2011 Iron Man 2 came out? It's been at least a decade since she's been Black, Black Widow. So um, she clearly has no problem kicking that switch and falling into that character. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed this. Um, themes of sisterhood and uh, family being not necessarily blood, but also uh, or otherwise chosen family, um, the bonds we make, you know, things like that. Um, so that's things that I really, really loved about it. And let's go ahead and I'm going to kind of like summarize the movie for a little bit, I guess. I, I don't, I feel like that's cause then I could point out everything that I liked about the various parts. Right. So let's kick that off. Um, we start off with very, at the beginning, you know, Natasha and Yelena, we basically have to assume that they are orphans at this point taken by Russian government. Um, and we're put with Alexei and Melina, Red Guardian and, and, I don't think they ever call her Iron Maiden. I don't think that's really what she's going to be ever. But uh, yeah, Red Guardian and Melina, they, they put them in Ohio and make them this fake undercover Russian family, which is pretty funny, honestly. Um, it it kind of, the movie kind of kicks off by showing you, they don't tell you that right away. They show you like it's this normal family. Um, everybody's speaking English with American accents and... Um, nothing seems off until suddenly Alexei and Milena get a message and they're activated. They become their agents have activated, and you still don't quite get what's going on um, until they get all the way to Cuba because that's what's going on now. The whole family picks up and goes. They tell the girls, "All right, girls, it's time to go on that trip. We told you would happen someday," and they just go. They go off to uh, like the secret shed where they have this little old plane stashed. Um, and there is when we learn that this version of Red Guardian in the MCU, he is actually a super soldier, which if you ask me is, is pretty cool. I'm, that's, that's a lot of what made his character more interesting. Um, I, I just, I feel like that was a really cool move for them to make in the comics. Red Guardian is not a super soldier. He's just a guy who is a soldier in armor. He's just Red Guardian. He's not Captain America. They have different levels here, <laughs> completely different levels. So it was really cool to have that in here, especially since we just had Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where we uh, heard all about, I guess, all about the American Super Soldier program and its failures, really. <laughs> um, so cool to see that and to have that added to his character. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed that. So they get the girls, he and Melina, they get the girls all loaded up uh, into the the plane, and then the American police show up because uh, even though it's the 90s, it's I think it was said it was 1995. Uh, it's it's they've obviously figured out that they're Russian insurgents or whatever here, um, and they're coming after them. So uh, Red Guardian kind of fights them off while Melina t starts the plane up. She gets shot. Natasha has to climb up to the front of the plane to fly the plane while Alexei uh, catches up with him basically and shoots from the wing of the plane. It's insane. To be honest, it was a really, really intense scene that everybody, especially um, her name is Evan Anderson or Ever Anderson. Uh, she plays young Nat 
uh, Natasha, if you want to say Natalie, young Natasha, uh, she is actually the daughter of, uh, she is, Ever Anderson is the daughter of, um, Mila Jojovich. I, and I'm just going to say it right now. I'm sorry for the names that I've mispronounced throughout this whole podcast episode. And honestly, in the future too, I'm really bad with pronouncing names. Uh, but yes, Ever Anderson is Mila Jojovich's kid. Um, Jovovich? Whatever it is. She's her kid. Um, so it's kind of appropriate because she's, I think she's Russian. Her mom's Russian, or at least partially. Um, so here she is playing Russian Natasha Romanov. Uh, that's kind of, I think it's great. And she, she did a phenomenal job, especially here, uh, when the family gets to Cuba. Melina, I believe it was Cuba at least, uh, Melina gets immediately carted off to doctors because she's basically bleeding out. Uh, and Nat ends up, uh, you know, her, up until this point for the last three years, her dad goes in off and starts getting into soldier mode again. Um, and it's left and, and she's left with her, you know, up until that point sister and, um, kind of panics. And she ends up fighting off a soldier who tries to take Elena grabbing a gun and she starts yelling at him in Russian. We start to get more insight to her backstory. We know this is backstory itself, but we start getting even more of that. He, the looks of it, we don't see any of it ever, but we kind of, we, we understand it based on the scene. She, she takes, she grabs Yelena, grabs the gun from the soldier and starts yelling at them all in Russian. Um, and in English, she tells them that she'll kill anybody who touches Yelena. Really, really defensive really, really angry, um, and just completely on edge. And it takes Red Guardian, it takes Alexi stepping in, uh, to calm her enough to take the gun from her. Um, she, and at this point we, we get even more of that insight. She says she doesn't want to go back and Yelena is too young. And, and you know, you immediately thought, oh shit, too young for what? She says she's only six. And this is, this killed me. He looks at her and he says, you were even younger when you first went. Oh my God, <laughs> this little girl has been with him. <laughs> oh my God, it's just, okay. So so now we know that Nat was, at this point we know that Nat was taken as a child, um, orphaned at some point. Uh, it's been three years since then. We know they were in Ohio for three years. She was used as a fake kid for Melina and Alexi in Ohio while Alexi gathered intel. Now the mission is over, so everybody's going back to Russia. That explains Melina's silent apology that she gave to Nat earlier, and it also explains why Nat is so afraid of going back and afraid on behalf of Yelena. She has already seen the terrors of the Red Room, it seems, and she doesn't want that life for this innocent little girl who is about to be dropped directly into a world of bullshit. But in any case, of course, um, <laughs> what are you going to do? Red Guardian doesn't stand up for them. And the two girls are put to sleep and taken to the plane where um, uh, the, the guy, uh, Drakov, he is in charge of the Red Room, notes that Natasha has something special about her in her, like, ferocity, you know, um, makes her a great candidate for his his young assassins <laughs> in training. Um and this is where it gets kind of dark. And then we had, that was kind of the intro. And then we get the opening credits. Um, well, I guess that was the intro. Okay. I'm a little ahead of myself. The girls, the first, <laughs> you get the little bit of darkness. Um, 
the girls are <laughs> they're shipped among other many many other young young children girls shipped in shipping containers you know sea trains to Russia where they are greeted by armed guards basically private militia uh Dracov's army pretty much um and forcibly taken away from each other and split up um what something that really struck me about the scene I usually hate classic or remixes of classic songs classic hits you know um Zack Snyder is a really really big user of those kinds of songs remakes um and they are terrible I think every single song he's ever put in one of his movies was somebody singing somebody else's song um that was a hit for that other person um it's it's bad but the redo of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit in this scene of the little girls being being trafficked let's be honest is just it's painfully perfect for this for what's going on it's mournful and tragic like everything happening in the scene to make things worse uh Dracov tells the guards who are there to quote remove the defects which you pretty much immediately understand means killing any of the girls with any kind of physical impediments or anything that would make them not a good candidate for being child assassins in training <laughs> that's great isn't it uh the old man Dracov uh tells that let that her the red room is her home now and he decides to take Yelena who is let's remind you 6 years old with him personally into his car instead of with the other girls to the red room so um you can pretty much imagine i mean you un- you get it you understand what's going on um the opening credits or the opening scenes again this is what the opening scene was and it kind of goes into the opening credits um which is kind of part of this montage through the credits about the red room facility um it it gave me goosebumps i'm not gonna lie the 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 extreme connections that they make between international and domestic human trafficking um they're clearly making these connections in this movie and it is shocking but so so spot on for the topic that we're dealing with human traffic is is ultimately the real world version of the red room stealing kids who they feel don't matter and putting them in a life no kid should ever live so um that that's pretty rough and that was it kind of goes from that scene into well from from the scene of the girls um, at at the sea trains at the port to the credits montaging through all the way through the credits into um, that scene of <sighs> it's 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 just um, it's dark and um, it it doesn't really say a whole lot there is no words really that are said about um, what it is that's happening but you you understand what what it is um and it, it is very dark um but anyway 
the rest of the movie picks up 21 years later, and I think I have my sequence of events a little bit, which scene we see, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, picks up 21 years later, where uh, our Black Widow that we know is on the run from the U.S. government as a fugitive, like Cap and the others. Um, everybody who took that side during Civil War, like, that's the point in time that we're at. She... Um, she gets out of the building just fine, of course, and goes to this hideout that she has, uh, that had kind of cornered her, but she gets away. Um, in time, she ends up in, like, Denmark or something, I don't remember, but, uh, she, she, she is this guy there who's, like, a contact, who sets her up with stuff for, like, her underground life, but then also they're, like, kind of seeing each other, like, like, um, there's not really any info given on him. He's just a black Brit, it would seem. Um, we don't get any information really besides that they've like had a long relationship of like f at least friendship and, uh, you know, he helps her out sometimes with her missions and I don't know, it looks like there may be some kinds of like friends with benefits situation. Like that's definitely a thing that was going down. Um, uh, this is not the only scene he appears and he appears two other times in the movie for just about as briefly as this time, if not briefer. Um, so I'm not really sure if we're ever going to see his character again. If we do, it will probably be the Hawkeye show? I don't really know, but um, I don't see a reason to see his character again. He and Yelena didn't really get a relationship that I would call worth anything, so... I don't think we'll I don't think we'll see him again. So he's just kind of this dude who pops up for three very short scenes and and and, and helps out a little bit. Oh my god, he's their magical black man. How did they sneak a magical black man into this movie without me realizing it? Ah, <laughs> uh, epiphanies. So so that's what Nat's up to. Okay, so then Yelena, we see Yelena, uh, she's in Russia working as a widow for the Red Room still. Oh no, she is hunting down an apparent dissenter from their group. Um, really cool action sequence ends with her stabbing her, Yelena stabbing the other woman, right before that other woman sprays her like in the face with some kind of gas and some red bile. And Yelena is visibly shaken by it, and she, like, comes to, uh, becomes herself, and immediately you can see her look at what she's done and immediately regret it. Um, it's clear that she and this woman are friends or cohorts of some kind. They're at least friendly with each other. Um, and it would, whatever was up with Yelena acting bloodthirsty, like a bloodthirsty hound just then, and killing her or stabbing her. Um, was due to a drug that she, this woman just counteracted for her. Unfortunately, the woman does still die, um, but Yelena is able to take the remaining vials of this counter agent off of her um, and takes it off with her while the other widows who are on comms trying to figure out what's going on basically figure out that, you know, it's, or at least it won't be long before they figure out that Yelena has defected as well as this other woman who is now dead. So meanwhile, Natalie, Natalie, there I go again. <laughs> Natasha is on the road. Uh, she gets attacked by Taskmaster. It's the first time we see Taskmaster. And here is where we get one of the gripes that everybody has or seems to have with this movie. The villain. Now, uh, while Taskmaster does not die at the end of the movie necessarily, 
Um, they appear to not have the same skill level as the character cohort in the comics, technically. So there's there's a few clips during this fight with Black Widow, uh, with Natasha, that shows that there is tech inside of the Taskmaster helmet, which analyzes, appears to analyze the opponent's moves and calculate how they can do the same thing. And that's how they mimic and block so well. Um, yes, it does take tremendous skill, especially physically. Um, God, especially physically. But it's not quite the same as being able to do that without any gear to help you, which is the Taskmaster in the comics. He is a true mimic. Um, so that's, that's, that's the little bit of gripe that people have there. Although I, I kind of have a counter argument for that, which is that towards the end of the movie, um, there are, when Dracov is talking about Taskmaster, he says that they're a perfect mimic, um, and doesn't reference the gear. Um, so potentially the gear is just, uh, like a helper. <laughs> um... I don't know if that makes sense, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get more into that when we get to that point towards the end of the movie, or yeah, towards the end of the movie. So that was that's one little main, minor gripe that people have. I'm not like so picky about it. I get it. I get why people are mad about it. I totally get it. Um, but it's uh, for me, it's not worth being really upset about in any way. But that's the one gripe that people have. And again, I get it. Nah, whatever. Um, so Nat has the syrup now because it was left at the Budapest safe room and her magical black man had found it there and brought it back. So she has this mysterious vial stuff now. She figures out that Taskmaster is trying to get to the vials um, and so she ends up uh, launching herself off the bridge pretty much with the vials um, to get away from him or them I should say. <laughs> I mean, we've already spoiled everything. Taskmaster's a woman in this. If you're mad about that, you have more important things in life to be mad over. Just, just saying. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's all comics anyway, guys. We can't get too serious about it. Um, plot holes only go so far when you're talking about comic worlds. <laughs> Everything's a plot hole. Physics is a plot hole. <laughs> I'm getting too far into this. Um, so, so Nat ends up going to Budapest because that's where these vials were found. Um, she's pretty rough shape already after the fight with Taskmaster and the fall off the bridge. Um, so, so she gets, she understands that Leelane is probably going to be there. Um, or, you know, a widow of some kind. When she arrives, it only takes a moment for her to hear Yelena call out from another room that she knows that is out there. Nat says, I know you know I'm here. They start to banter. It's a little bit sisterly, and, but mostly just skeptical. Um, both women have been through the Red Room program and know exactly what it is, exactly what it can do to a person. Um, and they... I mean, after everything that each of them have gone through over the past, I don't know, what has it been? Even 24 hours, maybe? They both have very good reasons to be hesitant on the 
um, what the other is here to do, um, and if they're on each other's side or if they are enemies, yada yada yada. Uh, what's really cool is when they fight, you can easily tell that this is, um, they're, they're both physically matched perfectly, um, which is, which is one thing that's cool, but it's also, <laughs> it's cool to see that you start to see their dynamic with the fight, because yes, half of this fight is because they're unsure of if the other is under some kind of control of somebody else or not, or, uh, you know, on Nett's case, it would be unsure if she's actually gonna hurt her, I guess, or up to no good, whatever it is. Um, but, but it's also just a lot of anger at one another, especially on Yelena's part. She's very clearly very angry at Nat and she is taking a lot of that out in this fight. Um, they end up coming to a tie because that's all they can do and they kind of give it up. Uh, and Nat says in Russian, kind of as a greeting, I guess, that Yelena has grown up. To which Yelena responds by getting very solemn and saying in Russian back to her, no shit. Um, to which I must, I just go back to that whole thing of young Nat telling uh, Alexi she's too young. She was too young. You can see that everything they've done to her has all but destroyed her. It's it's you can see it in her in her in her, in her, in her very clearly, and that is some excellent uh, excellent acting there. There's a few mentions of um, arrows, holes in the walls, uh, the Budapest trip and job that Nat and Clint were always talking about on and off through the years. Um, Yelena ends up filling that in on the serum. Basically what it turns out is it counteracts mind control, which is what they do to the girls in the red room. A uh, different way than Natalie. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit when we, they get to that. Um, the tone of the conversation changes, uh, when Yelena mentions that she had expected to see Captain America bring down the Red Room on TV, um, and that changes because Nat didn't know the Red Room was still around. She believed that Drakov, who is, as I mentioned, the Red Room leader, um, killing him, that she had killed him, um, and that would have been, well, it was supposed to be her final step in her defection to S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, which is the whole story of why she and Clint were in Budapest in the first place for that whole thing. Uh, Yelena mentions Drakov's daughter at one point, but before we can kind of get more information on that, the roof ends up getting blown in and the rest of the Red, Red Room Black Widows end up attacking. Uh, they did not come to fuck around. They are heavily armed with massive firepower. Um, this is a cool chase scene. The the two girls are about to escape, and then a widow tries to grab onto them as they're hanging on for dear life from this thing, and, and she falls from probably three or four stories. Um, back in the Red Room, Drakov has his fancy little tablet in front of him, and her little system thing pops up and says that her leg is useless, it's shattered. So, like a horse, like a racehorse, he has her kill herself. To make things even worse, she's able to say to Nat Natasha as she's putting her fist with her, you know, electrifier thing to her head because she can't stop it. She says she doesn't want to do this. Oh my god, how fucking dark is that? Dude, that is, that is dark. <laughs> and then she kills herself. 
uh, by his command. That's, that's, wow. Um, that is also <laughs> obviously what it takes. That's plenty for Natalie to believe, Na- Natasha, to believe that Yelena on what is going on here. She, she believes her after this, no question. Um, they end up eventually escaping from Taskmaster yet again, uh, and we hear the story, finally, of Nat apparently not killing Drakov when she thought she did. She ended up following his young daughter <laughs> to his office where she would go say hello to him, I guess. Um, and so that's where he would be, so she followed the daughter and made sure he was there by seeing the daughter go in. Um, and she just considered her collateral damage when the building got blown up. Uh, however, now we know that he must not have been in that building at all. Um, so that's a pretty rough thing for Nat to hear, that she killed his daughter, uh, for no reason. Although, you know, we, we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, so Yelena, uh, then asks Nat where she thought she was all those years if the Red Room was gone, and Nat says some crap about how she, oh, I thought you were living a, a normal life out here. No, and it's, it kind of goes into an argument, Nat tries to tell her that they aren't sisters, which is obviously very mean. And Yelena counters that, well, if we're not sisters and the Avengers aren't family either. Um, so that's, that, that really solidifies how, how Yelena sees the Avengers. They're not here to help her now, so they don't actually care. Um, you can definitely see that idea forming and solidifying during this scene. Yelena also calls out at this moment, this is when they talk about the superhero landing thing, and it's kind of a joke, but then she goes into the whole, little girls look up to you, um, we're both killers, but you're on the cover of a magazine with little girls calling you hero. So, you're still a killer though. Um, so you kind of see her point there. Later on, she explains Nat, she explains to Natasha the difference um, between their conditionings. Nat had psychological conditioning. Yelena's generation of widows were chemically altered in their brains to be different to follow directives better. She said that one in 20 survive training, the rest are killed because the way that Dracoff sees it, there are always more kids to take that no one will look for. And honestly, that's kind of the truth. It's all just huge, big allusions to human trafficking. And I, I enjoy that they're not really pulling punches with that at all. The two girls, Natasha and Yelena, they, they seem to have a really good sisterhood between the two of them after, even through everything. Oh, and we do get, we do get the British guy. This is when he shows up for his like second, magical black man moment to give them a plane and they just like razz him about it because it's not a very quality plane it's it's a it's a plane take it whatever i would love to be given a plane <laughs> uh we catch up on alexi now for the first time in 21 years and he is in prison nobody is surprised <laughs> he is currently getting tattooed and telling war stories while arm wrestling there's a funny thing here. He actually says that he fought Captain America in the 80s, which um, somebody points out was when Steve was actually on ice at that point. And, and that's kind of starts a fight. But we actually know now that there actually was another Cap, Isaiah Bradley. We're not really sure when he got put into jail, but if he was active in the 80s, 
That could be true. He, he could have fought Captain America in the 80s and just nobody else knew. In which my husband brought up that would be really funny um, if he meets Captain America now, who is, of course, um, former Falcon and Sam, it's about Sam Wilson, and uh, just assumes that he's like, oh, you look so young, you know, it's like, the same guy. <laughs> no, okay. Sorry, I thought it would be funny. Um, also, the guy who, who says that to him and whose arm he therefore shatters in the arm wrestling uh, is Ursa Major, who is a character from the comics who is like this Russian bear character. And I think there's been multiple versions of him. Uh, not sure which one this was. So then Alexei goes and he goes and he picks up his mail. Uh, the prison, I guess he gets fan mail. The guards are massive dicks about it. Um, and he gets this little Red Guardian action figure that somebody sent him. Uh, accidentally breaks it, but it turns out that it has an earpiece inside its head, and he gets in con contact with Nat and Yelena, and the Yelena get or Nat gives him instructions, um, but he gets up and attacks the guards <laughs> by the time that they tell him not to make a scene, so things go really poorly. Although we do get some genuinely cool scenes of him using his super, his like super soldier powers to get around this like snowy prison yard. Um, and again, I really enjoyed the change they made up to this, to this red guardian. Uh, Yelena blows up the guard tower and starts an avalanche. Um, and she says, this is another one of her funny lines. She said, this would be a cool way to die. <laughs> okay. Priorities, right? They do get Alexi out in time, but just barely, um, he does make a comment pretty much immediately about them being on their periods. Um, and Yelena starts going in about how they were sterilized in the red room. Uh, and she goes into describing it, uh, like really in depth before she gets cut off. Um, you can understand her anger <laughs> with him, even though she's not really being straight about it. Um, and there are a few times that he talks very openly about having hated that mission in Ohio which in turn clearly hurts her. So um, it's, it's all just very bad. <laughs> and apparently he was thrown in jail after Nat killed Drakoff's daughter because of those three years that they lived together in Ohio. They figured, oh, if you have any kind of loyalty, you know, we'll throw you in jail just in case, right? It's, it's all, you know, because you knew this person, it doesn't matter how well, it's because you knew them, you were associated with them. So now you go to prison too. Um, they are trying to get to the red room, obviously now, um, and they want to find Milena to, to find the red room. And she is apparently quote, working remotely outside St. Petersburg. <laughs> and there's this funny bit where Yelena says they don't have enough fuel to get to St. Petersburg and Alexi insists they'll be fine. And then literally the next shot a second later is the helicopter falling out of the sky and hitting the ground. <laughs> so they have to walk the rest of the way. Um, and on the walk, it's worth mentioning that, uh, <laughs> Red Guardian asks Natasha if Captain America ever mentioned him. And I think that's pretty funny. Um, so they get to Milena's house. She's like a pig farmer with this weird tech stuff. Uh, she shows them what their mission in Ohio is for, what she's been working on. It has to do with, um, finding the free will center of the brain and like turning it off or taking control of it rather. Uh, so she demonstrates with one of the pigs that she can take away, totally take away free will from any living creature. Um, by she, she demonstrates by almost killing the pig by telling it to stop breathing. 
again, twisted dark shit. <laughs> uh, Yelena gets them all to, she gets kind of mad, gets them all to shut up. And she tells them, she's kind of like venting to them. It says, the best part of my life was fake and none of us, none of you ever told me. Ouch. That's, that's awful. Um, to just wake up one day and not have that life. Yeah. I just, oh, th- as a six year old kid who's known the only thing she's ever known. She tells uh, Melina then, because Melina was going off about this stuff proudly, that she herself was one of the tech subjects, or one of the subjects that they put her tech into. Um, and then she storms off, and um, Melina tells Nat that she was taken as part of the program to, or part of a program, to check for genetic potential in infants. Her family was paid off, but her mother never gave up searching until Drakov had her killed. So now Nat has another reason to want to see Drakov. She wants to find out who her mother was. She even tells, um, Melina even tells Nat how she went through the Red Room four times before Nat was even born. Um, and they have this kind of touching heart-to-heart moment. And then Melina admits that she already alerted the Red Room and they will be here any minute. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Yelena and Alexia are kind of having a moment uh, she calls him Crimson Dynamo, and he like he whispers, it, "It's the Red Guardian." And then you know all hell breaks loose as the Red Room people show up. They trank Red Guardian. Melina pops up in front of Yelena in full costume, and takes out Nat. Um, and then takes she's she gets uh, yeah Yelena and Nat, uh, and they all go up. And it turns out the Red Room is a helicarrier. Oh, and that's kind of terrifying <laughs> and awesome. Um, they, they go there, you know, everybody's doing stuff, whatever, evil plans. Yelena on the operating table has a funny line. This is a much way, much less cool way to die. And Drakov then, um, he, he gets, he, uh, he gets his little plan going here. He, he wants to get N- N- Natasha, I know it's Natalie, Natasha under his control, partly because she defected and he's bitter, and partly because she's an Avenger. Um, as he's telling all of this to Melina, um, she takes her face off. <laughs> it's not Melina, it's Natasha! And then you see where Natasha is, or rather, she's not Natasha, and you know now, it must be Melina. Uh, Red Guardian starts confessing all of this stuff through the walls about how he wishes he had done things differently or with their family, and then the door opens and Melina's standing out there. Or rather, it lo- to him it looks like Nat's standing out there, but it's Melina, she takes off the mask, and everybody's surprised. Yay! Plan in progress! Uh, she gets on comms with Yelena, um who didn't know she had a comm in her ear, I guess. And she tells her that she has a knife in her hip and Yelena gets out of her, you know, potential murder surgery situation. Then Red Guardian goes to use his comm and starts to like give this whole speech like he was kind of doing in the prison cell. Uh, But she has to come up and tell him he doesn't actually have an earpiece. (laughs) It's kind of sad and funny. Um, Their whole plan is to trigger, uh, to have Nat trigger her tracker when she gets into this building's facility so that Ross will come looking for her and potentially stop any problems that they run into. Uh, and Yelena and Melina are going to try and free the widows. So now you have, uh, Nat and Drakov in the room together, kind of like with Taskmaster, like 
you know, doing their back and forth banter, but evil. Uh, she asks who her mother was, and he gives this like really evil monologue about describing where she was buried, and says that the name, her name on the gravestone says unknown. So he's so no, she'll never know. And that kind of sucks, but um, not really surprising. Um, she kind of tries to get him back though at this time, and saying that, oh, do you ever miss your daughter? And then he laughs. Uh, and responds by having Taskmaster take off their helmet to reveal that Taskmaster is actually his daughter. <laughs> she was only nearly killed in that explosion years ago, um, and he put a chip in the back of her neck to keep her alive, and now he has her under the same control. And here is where we get this little bit of, but maybe, you know, about Taskmaster's powers. He says, she's a perfect mimic and fights like all of your friends. That's a quote. It's what he says. So this makes me wonder if she maybe has more mental power over her abilities than the tech does. It's honestly very unclear, which to me is more frustrating than anything than having them gone one direction or the other. Just it's not very clear how much of this is her ability and how much of this is the suit, the machinery. Um, because what he's saying here makes me think it's her. But most other stuff makes me think it's the machinery. So not really sure about that one, but um, potentially we'll see here in the future. So maybe we'll see then. Uh, at this point, Natalie tries to... <laughs> Natasha tries to kill Drakov. Uh, but he, she finds that she physically can't do it no matter how hard she tries. And this is where he tells her... Uh, something to do with his pheromones not letting her commit violence against him, which is weird and misogynistic and creepy in some way. I don't know how it's so creepy, but it is. Um, and he sends Taskmaster off to find Melina because obviously uh, Natasha is not Melina as he thought. So Melina must not be, so Natasha must not be her. She must be Melina. So they go, um, they run into Taskmaster. Melina leaves Red Guardian to fight back in their office or whatever. Um, Nat and Trakov are having words uh, and they're alone. He basically tells her like his whole plan while he is busy punching her in the face and she's clearly, clearly riling him up on purpose to get him to hit her and he's just too stupid and far too egotistical to see what she's doing and possibly stops to think why that might be. And here, here is the why. Melina already told her about the pheromones that keep the widows from being able to be violent towards him. So she told Nat that she would have to sever her olfactory nerve, which Nat notes has now almost happened because he kept hitting her in the face. So to finish the job, she smacks her head down on the table one more time real hard and starts punching the shit out of him. Uh, Melina has gone off to blow up the engines, which puts them into what she calls a controlled crash to me just looked more like a regular old crash landing. Um, and then um, Nat almost gets to do the killing blow uh, with Drakov. It was about to be really satisfying, but the other widows have been activated and they come in to stop her. Um, he still has complete control over them. So he commands them to make her suffer while they kill her. Um, and at this point I kind of realized the Black Widows are the clone troopers of the MCU. Specifically clone troopers, because they're they're brainwashed, right? The clone troopers were the ones who had Order 66 in their head, and that was the thing that turned them on 
really anyone who wasn't following that rule, right? Called them um, uh, insurgents or whatever. Whatever it was, you know, um, that's the connection I made. Black Widows are, they're the clone troopers of the MCU. So uh, they spend some time beating the shit out of Black out of Natasha until Yelena throws a gas bomb uh, of basically or sorts of the antidote that red stuff uh, towards the, towards them and they all come out of it um, and are free from their brainwashing. As the ship goes down, um, Nat is able to get all the information of the other other widows. And their whole network onto a hard drive to take. Uh, Yelena gets onto the helicopter with Drakov, who was about to escape, and she blows it up with her like widow sticks, those stinger sticks they all have. Um, and it's really sweet. She actually looks up at Nat and calls out, "This was fun!" Just before she does that, assuming that she's gonna die, because she gets blown off the ship and goes flying through air towards the ground, which is probably a mile or so below them. And of course, Nat jumps after her. Um, she gets them both attached to one parachute, but then Taskmaster starts to fly by. Um, and they have that really honestly sick fight sequence from the trailer of them flying through the air and they get to the ground, they fight some more. In the end, Nat is able to free this girl. Um, let's see, what was her name? Adelaide or something? Whoever, whatever her name was, Nat was able to, uh, free her from the like brain altering stuff her father did to her. It's my cat scratching. Um, <laughs> uh, and so Nat then apologizes to Yelena about the mean things she said to her. Melina and Alexi um, survive to go off together. Ross starts to roll up at that point. Uh, Agent Ross. So Yelena gives Nat her vest, uh, her, her special vest, you know, and Nat gives Yelena the drive of all of the widow's information and it's pretty much suggested that they're going to spend time going after these widows to fix them. At this point, the widows who they freed actually show up to take them off and to get them to safety. It's a really touching moment of Yelena and the other widows greeting each other. It ends up being Yelena, the widows uh, with Alexi and Melina going off together literally into the sunset as Nat stays behind with Ross. And they take Taskmaster, who I guess is no longer a Taskmaster in some way or shape or form, uh, with them. Oops. So, um, we're no doubt we'll see her again. I just don't know, like, uh, what's that going to be like? I don't know. Um, and we get two weeks later. So two weeks later is the last scene. You get Nat, who is the Nat that we see in Infinity War with the blonde hair and the, the green vest that she is her sister's vest and everything. Um, she meets up with her little buddy, her little magical black man again. Um, and, and he gives her this time a Quinjet, <laughs> leveled up, way better than a diamond, I would say. Uh, and then she responds by calling him just a great friend. <laughs> Ouch, that's real hard friend zoning. He kind of makes a comment about it, but she shakes it off. Um, so she says she's off to free some friends from prison and try to mend the Avengers family, which is, of course, where we pick up with them in uh, Infinity War. And then, uh, that would be the last time any of them see her before she dies. So, 
Let's talk about the end credit scene first. Um, before we get into that other gripe. Um, the end credit scene is current time or modern time MCU. Yelena goes to Nat's grave to clean it up, which really makes me wonder um, if Yelena was snapped or not. If she just showed back up to find out her sister was gone or if she found out the same way as everybody else. I don't really know, um, but I'd be interested to find out. She is approached by uh, Secretary Madame, whatever her name is, a.k.a. Madame Hydra, um, same lady who approached U.S. agent in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, it's, it's clear in the scene that this is not the first time that she has approached Yelena, and it's clear that Yelena is not a very big fan. However, this lady, Madame Hydra, who is not called that yet, she brings up the story pretty much of everybody what they've all been told why Black Widow didn't make it back and brings up how it's Hawkeye's fault in her eyes and based on her expression, Yelena's as well. So she sends her after Hawkeye to kill. Um, we knew that Florence Pugh's Yelena was going to be in the Hawkeye show later this year, but we didn't really know why. Well, now we know why she is going to be hunting down Hawkeye, <laughs> at least hunting down Clint. Um, and then that, with that in mind, we know the tracksuit mafia from the, um, the Matt Fraction, David Aha run is going to be in it. So I wonder if it's Yelena who sicks the tracksuit mafia on him. They're like Ukrainian or something. So it's possible. Um, or if she's just going to be another player in the game, trying to take him out. Uh, either way, I'm really, really excited to see her character arc. They did a fantastic job casting her. I have so, so much praise for Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova. Um, but I can't help but feel like I agree with her and Madame Hydra that it should have been Clint. <laughs> I get that they tried to make this movie to end it off in, yes, well... And that's why it's okay that she sacrificed herself for her family. Well, no. Well, no, that's not okay, is it? Because we see that she only just got reunited with her fucking sister. And then she dies. And her sister's sad and alone. At least Hawkeye's kids have each other and their mother. <laughs> it's just... I, I, it still doesn't sit right with me that they killed her off in uh, Endgame. That really really does not sit right with me so um I, maybe if you have a different way to see it let me know um but that's that's yeah that's where i'm at with that <laughs> uh but yeah i'm really excited to see hopefully uh yelena actually kill clint i i'm that's what i'm hoping for right now legitimately don't call me crazy i think it would be cool uh yeah I think that would be cool. And I think that then she and what's her name? Kate should become friends. Who cares about Clint is what I'm saying. <laughs> we should, we should, we should have lost Clint and kept Natasha, but such is life. All right. Are you ready to talk the Loki episode six finale? Because I am, uh, again, this is going to completely spoil it. So if you haven't watched it and don't like it spoiled, don't, listen to this. What are you doing? Go away. Uh, this did premiere on Wednesday the 14th, so it has been nearly a week since this has come out. I feel like that's plenty of time to, you know, wait. I'll pretend that I had this break on purpose. Um, 
Loki finale, overall thoughts. Positive. Um, this was much more of a, it, it turned out to be in the end, much more of a show that is setting things up for the future. That was more of like a stepping stone uh, than I think anybody really expected. And I think that might have to do with any of the negativity that people have towards how they feel about the series. But that is kind of, um, it's kind of to be expected at this point, honestly, for the MCU. Some stuff is just going to be stepping points, but they're going to have still immense amounts of plots in them because you still have to keep an audience captive. It's just that this particular thing's role was to introduce certain ideas and certain continuities, which now is chaos, right? <laughs> which is great. I'm excited to see what comes of that. So everything, yeah, generally positive. Loved, um, loved the uh, Jonathan Majors. Loved having him in this, as we all pretty much suspected would happen. It was very satisfying. Um, didn't love the Sylvie Loki kiss that happens. <laughs> they are like clones. Like you've seen Orphan Black, you know the clones don't call each other other people they call each other sisters and and these two are basically clones of each other the sibling i mean in my head I, does nobody else see them as siblings i see them as siblings whatever um i guess it's different because that how they came into being and blah, blah. i don't know man that's it's i just i just see them as siblings um but other than that yeah i'm really really happy with how it went and how everything is kind of going to take off after this. So let's go ahead and go over what actually happened in the finale. We started off with, to be honest, this was one of my favorite parts of it, an incredible, absolutely beautiful opening credit sequence. They normally have, you know, the, the new Marvel titles. It's not the flipping comic pages anymore. It's the MCU images scrolling through the, the 3D Marvel title. So, they put in that audio from pretty much all the movies about various characters in the Marvel titles in a way that was almost spooky. <laughs> um, I would actually, I would say it's very spooky. It's yeah, very spooky. Um, and then there is audio from a few very interesting names. Um, you have Alan Watts, Neil Armstrong, Greta Thunberg, Malala Yafuza, Nelson Mandela, um, former Liberian president Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, and Maya Angelou. Um, didn't notice it first time I watched the episode. Noticed it when I watched it a second time when I stopped to look up who all the people speaking were. Um, let's count on our fingers here. Alan Watts, Neil Armstrong, Nelson Mandela. Three dudes. Of those... Two are white. Am I right with that? Oh shit, man. Alan Watts, Neil Armstrong. Neil. Yeah, two are white. Um, we get into women. We get Greta Thunberg, Malala Yafuza, uh, Librarian President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, and Maya Angelou. You get one white woman in there, Greta. She's not even American. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> I'm so happy. The seven, the four out of seven names are female. That's so rare in anything nerd related. <laughs> Plus the fact that you have so many people of color being represented so many places and so many 
ideologies like this. If you, oh, Alan Watts, uh, by the way, is a he was the first voice that you would have heard that's not MCU. He was a uh, British philosopher, writer, and speaker, known for what his Wikipedia says, known for interpreting and popularizing Eastern philosophies of Buddhism, Taoism, and Hinduism for a Western audience. Um, so obviously, really cool stuff. Um, but I was I was very moved on the second watch of this, especially. I was very moved by this. It's all it is is the opening sequence. That's it. But it was, it was it was very moving. Um, so King's castle surprises King, who's here. Uh, his castle at the end of time is is really cool. It basically looks like, you know, you get the end of space time where it's just nothingness except for this one like floating island. I would say reminiscent of like a glacier that's just hanging there in the middle of nothingness. Um, and it's completely surrounded by this glowing electric white stream, which is the actual time stream. And it encircles, it encircles this whole place and appears to be giving off like time energy or something. Really incredible job on the visual effects as usual. Um, Loki and Sylvie have to work their way up the like cliff to get to the castle and eventually um, Sylvie has to stop and like ponder even going in because this is something she's been going for her entire life. So you can understand why that could be a bit of a moment, right? So she takes her time and when they do get inside they are greeted immediately by Miss Minutes who is that little clock lady thing um, who is like the little helper for the TVA. And she confirms the name of the being who lives here, he who remains. That's pretty cool. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He can, she says that he can give them both all that they want, which they both see is clearly a trick. So they go in to meet whoever it is. And he opens the door to reveal himself lounging in this like elevator room waiting for them. So a little bit of backstory. Jonathan Majors was announced as being Kang the Conqueror in December 2020, roughly three years before the Quantumania movie will even come out. Uh, We also had the America Chavez casting at the same time for a movie coming out a year before Quantumania, as well as several Love and Thunder castings after this point even for just 2022, as opposed to Quantumania's 2023. Having his casting announced so far in advance, I think that was pretty clear that Marvel had some kind of plans for him prior to his announced featured villain movie, Um, which no doubt we're going to see all kinds of Kangs at that point, Um, and possibly even between now and then we may see him again. Um, There are theories that, and I would would agree, I subscribe to this theory, that there... Uh, the Kang variant that we see here who calls himself or rather who is called he who remains is the comic book character Immortus who is a specific variant from the comics of Kang while Kang originally appeared in the Avengers number eight in 1964 he was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby Immortus pops up two issues later in issue 10 and he who remains meanwhile is in another character entirely in the comics uh, who did create the TVA and the Timekeepers. Um, and so it would see that that's just kind of what this either Immortus or King or whatever you want to kind of go by Jonathan Majors' character. Uh, he just he just lets Miss Minutes refer to him as he who remains, um, potentially because of a Kang war and he was the one who lasted through it all. 
not really sure. We'll probably figure it out later if it's if it's something relevant. Um, from the comics, if you're curious, other there are three other kings that I know off the top of my head. I know you have Rama Tut, who was one of the kings. Iron Lad is a young king. And then you get the Scarlet Centurion as well. And I'm sure there's a few others that I can't even know. I don't even know, but um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a fun, complicated universe of Kangs. So, um, so we get the Jonathan Majors Kang here, be him Kang and more is he who remains, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he spins them, the Lokis, the tale about basically who he is and how he got here going over how he won a war with the other Kangs enough to um, to set up all this place and prevent the Kang war from coming back and starting up again. He also tells them that he knows everything and that's how he can dodge their attacks because they keep attacking him because they think he's bad. He pretty much comes out and just says, I paved the road, you just walk down it. You know, whatever you think, you know, free will and everything, but this is actually what was happening. Um... His characterization, I have to note, was very much of a man who has been alone and probably a little bit stressed for a very, very long time uh, and possibly lost touch with reality and maybe even human interaction a little bit. Um, he's, he's a little bit off. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the TVA, Ravona Renslayer, who is their judge there, is trying to figure out what's going on and is given new orders by Miss Minutes, which can only confuse her. Then Mobius returns to say that he and Hunter B-15 went ahead and gave the other TVA uh, agents the insight on what was going on so they'll understand, um, which they do that by actually showing them another version of Judge Renslayer, who was a school teacher in Earth, on Earth. Uh, so that was a pretty cool thing to see. <laughs> Even Renslayer has variants that are just kind of hanging out on Earth. Um, as for Renslayer herself, she ends up taking the tempad and going elsewhere. She says she's off to find free will, whatever that means. Um, her, she does have a romantic history of sorts with Kang in the comics. Um, so it would definitely make sense to see her in Quantum Mania, if not wherever we see Kang before that as well. Um, and I'm not really sure what looking for free will is going to mean for her what that will mean for the next time we see her character. I'm not particularly sure. Um, the name Kang, you have to you have to know in this it's episode is never actually mentioned. Um, he only he does call himself the conqueror multiple times but never never says Kang. Nobody doesn't even say that in the subtitles. Um, when he tells also when he tells his story to Loki and Sylvie, it would seem that he is the one who found Eliath and harnessed it. Um, here to fix his problems and help end the war, the time war, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then he started the TVA to prevent further branches, keeping things the way they are now in all realities. And he has this quote here, if you think I'm evil, just wait till you meet my variants. Very foreboding. I can't wait. I, I really can't wait. I'm excited to meet your variants. <laughs> and like when it comes down to it, he basically tells them that their options are kill him now and start the chaos of all the Kangs just bursting forth or take control of this little project, the TVA himself. He tells Sylvie to grow up. Everybody here is a villain. Um, and then the timeline goes past the point of no return. It crosses the threshold, the threshold, 
which is where we get the truth. Kang actually doesn't know what happens. He does know everything, but he doesn't know what's going to happen if they pass the threshold. And when they pass the threshold, he is basically powerless. He knows nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't know anything. Um, so it's, and then that happens and, and you see the time stream split, sending off arms all over the place from various parts of this, of this, of this circle that it used to be. Um, and Kang has some really, really great acting moments. I have to guess that some of it is improv because it just fits so well. Um, like theater acting almost. Um, great. He had some great moments of looking very lost for possibly the first time ever, removing his, like his tech gear for the TVA stuff and just kind of sitting there and waiting for something to happen. Sylvie takes this moment to try and kill him and Loki stops her. They have this whole back and forth fight argument thing. He kisses her and I hate it. Um, and then she ends up sending him off and stabbing Kang. Um, so as he dies, he tells her, see you soon. <laughs> Extremely foreboding. Extremely foreboding. <laughs> um, and by the end of this, by the time that he's dead, you see the timeline has branched off in so many directions that the whole thing is just a horrible, messy spider web going in no particular direction of time and reality. It's just uh, shit's bonkers. <laughs> uh, at the TVA, with all this going on, we see Mobius and Hunter B-15 reunited. They watch the timeline splitting so much on their screens and are very clearly uncertain of what should come next or what to do next. Loki comes and finds them at this point, because that's where Sylvie sent him. Um, but when he talks to them, it turns out they don't know who he is. Um, and as he looks beyond them, he sees the statue of the Timekeepers is now a statue of Kang in his Conqueror version. Like... Almost the exact outfit from the comics, Conqueror Kang. Oh boy. So if you didn't pick up on that, that is because of all these timeline branches throughout the timeline, throughout history, everything is changing. And the only people who are going to know that everything is, that anything has changed at all is going to be him and Sylvie and maybe Kang, a version of him. Maybe this one who just got killed, who's now dead. But, um because they were at the epicenter of it, right? So so they were like outside of the effect. But since all of reality and all of history has changed, things are going to be different. So I want to I want to know what else do you think is going to be changed with the MCU because of this? We know that Loki gets a second season. We're going to get a second season starring Loki. Blah. Um how connected is it going to be to the first or is it going to start up a whole new storyline? Uh, one thing that I thought of was um, things that could potentially be changed in the MCU next time we kind of see things. Rachel McAdams, she plays a made-up MCU character in Doctor Strange, which was announced after lots of speculation that her casting would be for Clea, who is um, in some way, shape, or form at one point in time his wife. So I wonder, is it somehow possible that reality will change the point that we will see her as Clea now. And that's just who she is. I doubt it, but that's just a thought that I had. Um, and also will this Loki ever get to live his life now that the timeline 
the whole timelines are like really messed up could he just go out there and do whatever and no one's gonna stop him in theory yeah but he's probably gonna have to help with this crap first whatever that's gonna entail uh i don't know if it's even possible to, to fix this <laughs> Um, something that I saw online was that the four statues of the Citadel, uh, one of them was destroyed, leaving only three statues of the Timekeepers. Um, and apparently in the comics, He Who Remains had banished, uh, the fourth Timekeeper, leaving only three. So that's probably what that was referencing as a fun little Easter egg. Um... It's hard to it's hard to say what it is that we're gonna when it is that we're gonna be seeing the effects of this. Obviously, what if, uh, which starts on August eleventh, which is another Wednesday show, it is it's no doubt gonna be affected by this. It's no doubt gonna be pretty much about what this is affecting. Um, but then you know we have Spider Man in December, we have Shang Chi in September, and then we have Multiverse of Madness next year. And it's not until the year after that we have Quantum Mania. We also have uh, Love and Thunder next year. So, how what are we not going to see really like that? I would say, I would call that a pretty big change for the TVA that King the Conqueror is now their leader. Um, are we going to see a lot of big changes like that in the MCU? People not remembering each other, events not having had happened, completely different people, but in a pl different places than they were previously. Um, or is it all going to be very minor? Because I, th I, I, I don't know. I just don't see the coming MCU projects having extremely big changes. Maybe just minor things. Although I do have this one theory revolving around Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. There's all this talk that we're going to have Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in it, right? So what if, due to this change that Loki just did, or rather Sylvie just did, um... Well, actually, it wasn't. It was just the timeline just getting effed up. Um, due to the timeline getting effed up, what if Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker gets, like, sucked into the main MCU universe? And that's, like, he's just... But he's not Peter Parker. He's just some guy who's a cameraman. And that's how they put him in it. I don't know. Or or possibly... Uh, um, Peter gets sucked into another universe and then we get Miles while he's over there doing Sony stuff under them. I don't know. Um, in any case, I really enjoyed this. Um, wasn't six hours though. Gotta point that out. Kevin Feige said that we were going to have six hours and this was more like four and a half, if that. Um, probably more like four because these were 45 minute episodes instead of hour long episodes. Feige, you liar. Um, I don't really care that much. I just wish we had more content because... I mean, isn't that what we all want? <laughs> the next uh, the next Marvel streaming show is going to be What If, which is, like I said, Wednesday, August 11th. And the next MCU movie is going to be Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Seven Rings. Sorry, The Legend of the Ten Rings, which is going to be in theaters only on September 3rd. We are only going to talk briefly about episodes 11 and 12 of The Bad Batch because... To be honest, Eleven was a bit of a snooze for me. I will not lie about that. It was not super exciting, uh, but it, it featured none of the batch whatsoever, but it did feature Harrison Dula. If you are familiar with Rebels or you watch that, you will know Hera as being, um, not older woman, but you know, a mature woman who um, is helping out with rebel things and whatnot, right? 
Well, here we get to see her as a young woman, potentially teenager, just a little bit older than um, Omega is herself. In episode 11, it's pretty much entirely about her family um, being rebels. Her father and mother are also in both episodes. We know from the Rebels show that her mother doesn't make it through um, the early parts of the, what do you want to call it, the revolution. Um, but we do not actually have to watch her die in this episode. Once I kind of figured out either of these episodes, I should say, once I kind of figured out who they were, I, I was convinced we were going to see that moment with Hera's mother getting killed. And I'm got to say, I'm very relieved that we did not. So, um, episode 11 was just catching up with where everything is with Hera and her family. Um, and it kind of ends with Hera escaping the empire while her parents are taken. Episode 12 is the bulk of the episode is following Hera as she reaches out to Omega and Omega gets the batch, um, some of them who very much do not want to be doing this, to come and help the Syndulas. And like I said, it goes, her mother does not die, Hera's mother does not die, so it does actually go very well. They do escape and they do get them out of there, so... Um, it's, it's nothing too terrible or tragic, um, but it is a nice little backstory to Hera. It connects, um, Omega with other characters. They're kind of giving us a Star Wars map here, and these two episodes were adding a pin to the map, um, or I should say stretching a string from there, from the Bad Batch pin to the Rebels pin, um, if you can kind of picture what I'm, what I mean by that. Um, it, it's filling in, um, it's, it's connecting the two worlds. Of course they're going to be connected. I mean, there's, the universe is only so large, yes, but these things are happening on a certain, on repetitive places. So eventually these people are going to bounce into each other. And I, I'm really enjoying all of these crossovers. We've had several with Clone Wars, um, and this is one with Rebels. And now actually it's also, we've seen both Hera and, oh, oh. The Kanan, Hera and Kanan, um, who were, of course, the two of the stars from Rebels, but um, Kanan, we know, did not make it out of Rebels. Uh, Hera did, and it's, this all makes me very curious because we've seen Ahsoka in Mandalorian. We've seen Boba Fett. We've seen Fennec Shand. I'm still theorizing we're going to see Omega in the Book of Boba. I feel like that's not... A it should be the Book of Fett, though, shouldn't it? But it's Book of Boba. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced of that. that that's what we're going we're gonna to see her there, Omega. Um, and this kind of makes me wonder then, will we possibly see Hera? Um, thinking about time, she would be old, but Ahsoka's old too. And she looks fine. She's handling herself just fine. Um, but yeah, just the stuff that this episode made me think about, the whole Star Wars universe as a whole connecting. Um, and also it was nice, I gotta say it was also nice to see Omega being able to kind of pull, pull her string hard enough to get the batch to, um, see her point of view, that she can, she can debate them very well. Um, and so I'm curious how, how that's, if that's gonna get to be a problem going forward or if it's gonna continue to be just useful for her and for them. 
let's talk fairly quickly about comic books. Uh, the comic book recap from the past week, things that I really enjoyed. I only have three things here, so it won't take long. Although one of them is not something I really... Well, I enjoyed it to the point. Uh, it's going to be Maneaters, The Curse, number one, Savage Hearts, number one, and Extreme Carnage, Scream, number one. I feel like that's also a really good selection of comics if you are interested in picking anything up. Maneaters, The Curse is by one of my favorite creative teams of all time. This is a follow-up to the, I believe, 2018 Maneaters series. Um, same team. They are also the same team who did Spy Island for issues from last year that... I adore. Um, like I said, this this really is my favorite creative team, and there are excellent reasons for it. I could write essays on why these issues are good. One of the reasons is because every issue they have ever put out as a team has been not a single ad, front page, front cover, to back cover. You will see there are ads within the comic. They are not real ads. They're ads for the universe that the comic takes place in. So they're ridiculous. Like, I think the one on the back of Maneaters of the Curse number one this week was an ad for like anti sand flea stuff. And it's it plays off of a lot of the things that have been developed uh, and set up to be known in that world. Um, but it, it it's just really funny. Um, and the world is itself is extremely ridiculous. It's an extreme extreme exaggerated world um, in order to force a metaphor that you will see and be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's that's a good point. And it has to do with uh, puberty and periods and women turning into crazy monsters. And I, I just, I, I, I don't know how to describe this series very well or its predecessor, but it's fantastic. Um... And it, it does make you think. So, uh, Man Eaters of the Cursed, I bought two copies for the two covers it had because I want that I want them to do well and I want them to come back and do more comics. I know Chelsea Kane, the writer, has gone off several times on Twitter about how she's not going to be doing comics anymore because of how poor her treatment in the community has been. And I understand that. You get these comic, geeker, comic skate losers who think that if you're a woman who writes comics for women, like, why? But if there's an... <laughs> comics are for everyone. There's an audience for them. Like, if they're, if they're out there, they should be able to have a comic that's an, that they're the audience for, you know? Um, and it, it just... It just... It, it really... It really grinds my gears that people give her such a hard time because she is... Oh, God. One of the best comic writers I have ever read no exaggeration. Uh, Savage Hearts number one was another indie comic number one that I, well, this one I was surprised. I wasn't sure about it, but I was surprised that it ended up being really, really good. Kind of in the same way as Barbaric, if you read that one a few weeks ago. Um, it's just about this, this big old warlord lady who ends up hiring this skinny little demon guy to um, be her guide on her journey. <laughs> there is he he falls in love with her completely at first sight um can't control himself sort of thing and he um he he ends up uh, well we end up we we as readers end up seeing the story that there is more story that we're going to be getting backstory um this warlord lady apparently has pissed off some big old warlord dude who is 
tearing down kingdoms to get supplies to take her down. So we're going to have to learn a lot about what she did to piss him off so much. Um, but we know that he killed her former lover. So hopefully it's not foreshadowing for this new guy that she has. But it's it was a fun first issue. I enjoyed the art and I... Um, I enjoyed the fun, the funness, the fun quality of the storytelling. On a less happy note, Extreme Carnage Scream number one. I'm a big fan of the character Scream. Um, she is uh, connected to Andy Benton right now in the comics. Um, and for whatever reason, they killed her. By which I mean, I didn't kill Andy Benton. They killed Scream the symbiote. Now, there's only two reasons that I can really think of for them to do this. Um, one is... Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. This was well-written. It was handled probably as good as they possibly could have for a shit storyline. Um, <laughs> the two reasons could be why they did this. It would be, A, she's in the way for what they wanted to do with Carnage, and they had to get her out of the way. Okay, whatever. Two... She's actually going to come back at the, uh, you know, 11th hour, the final act, and uh, save the day when she turns out to not be dead. Obviously, I would prefer that. <laughs> um, but really, honestly, who's to say? Um, it was looking like we were, it was going to be like a good era for Scream, but now it's kind of like, hmm, I am disappointed. <laughs> Uh, she was my favorite symbiote. And you even get the editor in the back of the issue saying, Scream is my favorite symbiote. Okay, well then why did you guys kill her off? It's gotta be that they're bringing her back. I'm wishful thinking, maybe, but there it is. The comic book pull list we will also go over. Um, there is a lot of stuff I have here and a lot of number ones, and this is gonna be a really quick pull list, uh, because this is gonna be a really long episode already, and I'm trying to get it done. <laughs> And try to get it done so you guys can can get it up online and listen to it and get on with life. Um, we got some number ones. Bermuda number one is an indie comic. Blue and Gold number one is gonna is, is a DC comic about Booster Gold and Blue Beetle, uh, the classic duo of friends. Finally getting a comic again. We have Dark Blood number one, which is another indie number one. Extreme Carnage Phage number one, which is the Extreme Carnage tie-in for the Life Foundation symbiote known as Phage, who's one of Scream's brothers. Uh, let's see, you have Mom, Mother of Madness number one, which is Amelia Clark uh, writing with Marguerite Bennett, um, helping out a story about a lady who gets powers to fight... Um, human trafficking, so kind of relevant, I guess. Uh, not sure if it's going to be any good, but worth checking out. It's got a nice Jen Bartel number one cover. Uh, we have Moon Knight number one, which I'm just going to get to see if it's going to be any good of a series. We have Shazam number one, which, same thing. <laughs> Superman and the Authority number one is by Grant Morrison. Uh, and they said that it will be their last project with DC, so I'm very curious, um how it's going to be recepted, received, and how I'm going to think of it. We also have the Thor annual, which is not going to be a Donny Cates thing. It is actually a, um, it's just an annual. So it's, it's, um, it's part of the infinite, infinite destinies kind of mini event they're doing. 
Um, so don't expect it to be like the Donny Cates Thor that you've been seeing recently. Other comics that we have this week, Captain Marvel number 30. I have talked before about how I'm very up and down with the series. Right now has been a really, really low point for the series for me. Um, part of it is the constant rotating door of artists, by which I mean literally every single issue has a different interior artist. As a reader, that is infuriating. <laughs> it's it's not really confusing, but it gets you really caught up with um, just continuity doesn't feel right, and yeah if they don't have similar styles it really it really throws you off um so I'll, i'm not I'm not really loving this arc i'm not really loving the rotating artists um i guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see what the future holds for captain marvel on if how i feel about this series catwoman number 33 comes out i don't particularly care about this series to be honest i am in it for the gotham city sirens who are appearing throughout it and for the Jenny Frizen variant covers, because they are to die for. Uh, this month's variant cover has both Catwoman and Poison Ivy with some roses, and it is so, so beautiful. Let's see, we have Home Number 4, which is the story of the immigrant boy coming from South America who was separated from his mother, and it turns out that he has superpowers. Um, so he's coming into his superpowers as he is basically illegally sneaking through America, trying to find his family. Homesick Pilots number seven were in the second arc of the series. This was an indie comic that as of a few pages into the first issue, I knew I would be completely in love with. And that feeling has not gone away for a moment while reading this. Um, the last issue kicked off this second arc that we're going into and it did a really fantastic job of getting you excited for the future of Homesick Pilots. However long it's going to be, um, they could make it go for a very long time at this point if they wanted to because they kicked open so many doors with issue number six. Um, so hopefully in this number seven we'll kind of start to see which direction they're going to take with all of these options they've made for us. The Many Deaths of Layla Star number four is oh, a dream of a comic. Um, it is right up there with Homesick Pilots um, and Luna and Carmen and things like that with immediately discovering this comic and just completely falling in love with it from the first few pages. Uh, issue number three of Layla Star was easily the most impressive because it was told entirely from the point of a cigarette. Um, if that sounds ridiculous, it wasn't ridiculous. It was beautiful. It was mind blowing how you're able to, how he was able to, the writer is Ram V and he was able to completely tell this story about what was happening on this night of this party and all of the insights and all of the connections, the, the hidden things that people, you know, have. It's, that he was able to do that from the perspective of a cigarette. And not only that, but making it the cigarette when he is, when he's writing of Indian culture, um, where, you know, a lot of Asian cultures have a very strong dependence on cigarettes. Um, it's a very, it's a very large part of their culture. So, um, it was just fitting on top of fitting on top of fitting, just a ball of perfection. Um, I believe this is a five issue series. Unfortunately, I don't think they could do this forever. <laughs> 
the last issue ended with Layla dying um, by falling asleep on a couch that goes up in flames uh, and basically just going out that way. So now she's going to go back for the, th for the third time <laughs> um, and try life again. Marauders number 22 is by Jerry Duggan. Um, he is doing a number of X-Men things right now, but this is a really fun series. It's kind of starring uh, Kitty Pride and Emma Frost and Luke Bishop and Storm um, and uh, Pyro and a couple others that are just like fun characters to kind of have on a team. Um, it, it deals a lot with the Hellfire Club um, as that is kind of, uh, I think as of as a planet-sized X-Men, they were trying to phase out the Hellfire stuff, right? And go into more legitimate business. Um, so Marauders... There was, was also, there was also supposed to be a big thing where it's like... They said a few issues ago, oh, the, the first big step in Storm's new life. And there wasn't really anything that happened there. Um, so maybe I missed it, but there was nothing really big that happened in that. But I really... I, I enjoyed the series... I'm kind of hoping this issue is a bit more involved than previous ones of late. Um, I, I think I'm going to narrow down some of my X-Men titles if, if this one isn't really, really fantastic for me. New Mutants number 20 is by Vita Yala. I can't say enough good stuff about Vita's writing. Um, they have an excellent grasp on these characters. And uh, on a podcast, apparently, they were saying that uh, they got this job of writing New Mutants by basically just walking up to Jonathan Hickman and saying, hey, so you have all of these, like, teenage and young age mutants running around Krakoa now. What what are they going to do? They're just going to just kind of wreak havoc or what? And he just looks at them and he goes, all right, well, why don't you write about it? <laughs> so here we are with Vito Ayala writing about the young the young crowd of, new, of, of mutants on Krakoa. So that's... That's something that I've really enjoyed um, a lot, especially with all this Hellfire Gala stuff. It's been a pleasure to read. Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow number two is of eight, I believe. Um, it's by Tom King with Bilquis Evely as the as the artist. The first issue was stupendous. Um, I am a big Tom King fan, so that's not very surprising. Um, I can't... The, <laughs> there is so much that I am hoping for in this series and yet so much that I am receptive to reading um, I, I, I want it to go one way so so bad but it's it's <laughs> I'm just really happy to have Supergirl having a really solid comic I guess um, the first one ended kind of tra the first issue kind of ended kind of tragically um, because she gets stabbed and or she's shot up with arrows and Crypto gets shot up with arrows and they're on a planet with a red sun and she was just here trying to get drunk for her birthday. <laughs> I, it's, it's great. I really, I've really, really been, uh, it's only been one issue, but I've really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm so looking forward to reading more of it as the series goes forward. Finally, we have Time Before Time number three. This is an indie series about... Let's see. Uh, it's a guy who worked for a agency that found time machines or got time machines somehow and would send people to the past and the future to get various supplies in their dystopia. <laughs> um, 
and then yeah, it just uh, <laughs> it, it goes bad. It went very poorly, and he got launched into a random place in time and space. Um, I'm 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 enjoying this. I it's a fun time travel series without being too overboard in any way. And the art is really unique and interesting too. I am not somebody who subscribes to really liking super generic comic book art. Um, and this does not fall into that category at all. It's very unique um, and incredibly fitting for the style of the comic. That is all of my comic recap and pull list for this coming week. Like I said, this is things that are, these are things that are coming out for DC tomorrow, Tuesday the 20th, and for everything else, Wednesday the 21st on the regular new comic book day. As usual, this is not nearly all the stuff that I have to read um, or all the stuff that is out there to read. So if you didn't hear anything here on this list that sounded interesting to you, be sure to hit up your local comic shop because they can certainly give you some suggestions based on what it is that you like in other media. Let's talk DC October comic book solicitations. Uh, there's a couple of really awesome stuff coming up, so I'm going to try and speed through this with a pretty decent uh, time, but get all of the right information at the same time. Uh, and there was a lot of jokes going online that not everything is Batman. So, yes, not everything is Batman. However, there is still a lot of Batman stuff. So we're going to kick off with Batman the Imposter number one. This is going to be one of three. It's a prestige format black label series um, by Matson Tomlin with art by Andrea Sorrentino. Um, prestige format comics are basically just bound a little bit better. Um, they don't just bend at the seam, they have like an actual bound edge. Uh, and then as opposed to Prestige Plus, which is magazine size. There is a variant cover by Lee Bermejo. It's coming out on the 12th of October. And here's what the solicitation says. Bruce Wayne's mission as the Batman has only been underway for a year or so, but he can tell he's making a difference. Unfortunately, he's made some powerful enemies. All the traditional power brokers of Gotham represent the, distribu represent the distribution that the Batman has brought to town, and it seems one of them has a plan to neutralize him. There's a second Batman haunting Gotham's rooftops and alleys, and this one has no qualms about murdering criminals live and on tape. So... <laughs> that's a problem um, DC Black Label series only three issues, count me in I'm here for it, first one sucks, I will not read the rest but it this sounds like it'll be really interesting I'm not reading the, the, the regular Batman series but Batman 115 has a backup story written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad with art by Jorge Corona this is up on sale on the 19th, and the story is going to be about the Batgirls Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown. It says, Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown have had each other's backs no matter what, even if it means punching some magistrate soldier butt and putting an even bigger target on their backs. Meanwhile, a mysterious anti-Oracle character finally makes contact directly with Babs and has a few things to say about the unethical nature of Oracle's powers and what they think should be done about it. Whatever any of that is, I'm not keeping up with the Batman stuff. I really wish Tinian would stop writing women. He's not very good at it. Or at least women who already have developed characters. Catwoman number 36 is written by Rom V with art by Nina Vacueva. Uh, it's got a cover by Yannick Paquette, but in my opinion, you should get the variant by Jenny Frizen. It's Carly Quinn. Um, honestly, gorgeous. She looks crazy as shit. 
Um, <laughs> she looks strung out too, so I think it's very appropriate for Harley. And this is what it says, the Gotham City Siren reunions no one saw coming. Raises hand. I saw this coming. Um, you get Ivy and Queen Ivy. It says, as Ivy senses Queen Ivy's presence and her behavior becomes more increasingly erratic, Catwoman decides she is too vulnerable to keep in Alleytown, and a plan is hatched to get her out of Gotham. But to do it, she's going to need the help of the Riddler. But even after Selina saved him from a certain doom, can he be trusted? Meanwhile, the flickering assassin known as White Witch, W-I-G-H-T, Witch, flanked by magistrate soldiers, has arrived to return Ivy to Solomon Saint, or Simon Saint. Harley Quinn and the gardener join the fight against the White Witch and the magistrate. Um, don't know who half those characters are, but it sounds like this Ivy, like, offspring, who they're just calling Ivy, um, is, they're trying to make her the main Ivy because she's good, as opposed to the main Ivy, who is Queen Ivy, who is bad. <laughs> I just want regular-ass Ivy in the comics. This is not regular-ass Ivy. This is, like, her clone with half the mental capabilities and none of the powers, basically. <laughs> Batman Urban Legends number eight. Um, basically, I have on here because it is a fear state tie-in revolving around the Oracle network and Gotham with Batman being dead, Cassandra Kane, um, Batgirl being in jail, and uh, fear toxin being, I guess, in the air. So um, basically, fear state is going, what I've gathered, fear state is going to have the death, quote unquote, death of Bruce's Batman, which leads to Jace becoming Batman, which leads to what we saw in the Future State Detective comics, Batman, and Catwoman's series. So it's not really very far in the future. It's five months in the future. <laughs> Harley Quinn number eight by Stephanie Phillips with Riley Rosmo, variant covered by Derek Chu, comes out on the 26th. Um, more stuff with Fear State. Not something that we know about right now because the arc hasn't started yet. Uh, but I've been really loving what Stephanie Phillips has been doing with Harley, and I really hope that she gets this run to go on for a very, very long time with her in charge. There is a new Prestige Plus DC Black Label series called Catwoman Lonely City. It will be four issues, and it is written, drawn, and the covers are drawn by Cliff Chiang. It says, Ten years ago, the massacre known as Fool's Night claimed the lives of Batman, the Joker, Nightwing, and Commissioner Gordon, and sent Selina Kyle, the Catwoman, to prison. A decade later, Gotham has grown up. It's put away costume heroism and villainy as childish things. The new Gotham is cleaner, safer, and a lot stress a lot less free under the watchful ire of Mayor Harvey Dent and his bat cops. It's into this it's into this new city that Selena Kyle returns, a changed woman with her mind on that one last big score, the secrets hidden inside the bat cave. Um that sounds awesome. Again, count me in. Another DC Black Label series starting in October, Tom King with Greg Smallwood, Human Target. This is one of 12, variant cover by Jenny Frizen, and of course it's a one of 25 because DC hates me being able to add stuff to my art collection for a decent price. This is about a character, Christopher Chance, and he's going to be involved with the Justice League International. Um... It says, Human Target is a hard-boiled, gritty story in the vein of classic detective noirs told by best-selling and critically acclaimed creators Tom King and Greg Smallwood. I'm not super familiar with any of the Christopher Chance or half of the Justice League International, but I trust Tom King as a writer. Um, 
didn't give a shit about Adam Strange either, and I'm reading Strange Adventures and getting an absolute kick out of it. So uh, count me in on that one as well. There's, there's a lot of these that are obvious pickups for me. We have a 100, 100 a Wonder Woman 80th anniversary 100-page spectacular, which is by a variety of artists and writers. It's celebrating her 80th anniversary. It's going to be 96 pages in regular prestige format. We'll have covers by Will Murray, Kat Staggs, Bruce Timm, Jen Bartell, which is a beautiful wraparound cover, Amy Reader, Michael Cho, Travis Moore, and Cliff Sheang. It's going to be on sale the 5th of October, having um, a various showcasing of creators uh, during showing stories from Wonder Woman's life, past and present. That should certainly be a lot of fun. Wonder Woman Historia, The Amazons. Now, I happen to know from being Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, subscribing to her newsletter, that this was originally supposed to be, um, let's see, nine, nine 40 page issues or something like that. Um, but they ended up doing, they ended up uh, taking it down to uh, three seventy-two page issues. Uh, they are Prestige Plus. It's by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Phil Jimenez. I also know that this is was originally meant to be called Historia the Amazons as opposed to Wonder Woman Historia the Amazons. It's because they had to put the Wonder Woman on there apparently for marketing reasons. This comic has been in the works since like 2017 or 2018. Um, I heard about it a year or two ago and I was excited and I just never heard anything else. And it's finally coming out. Here is the solicitation. It's earned it. The wait is over. The entire story of the Amazons can finally be told. Millennia ago, Queen Hera and the goddess of the Olympian pantheon grew greatly dissatisfied with their male counterparts. And far from their sight, they put a plan into action. A new society was born, one never seen on Earth, never before seen on Earth, capable of wondrous and terrible things. But their existence could not stay secret for long. When a despairing woman named Hippolyta crosses the Amazon's path, a, ser a series of events was set into motion that would lead to an outright war in heaven and the creation of Earth's greatest guardian. Legendary talents, Kelly Sodokonik, and okay, yeah, so, wow. Um, <laughs> really, really dig this. Um, I, I just, the history of the Amazons told by Kelly Sodokonik with artists Phil Jimenez on issue one, and then you get Jean Ha and Nicholas Scott on issues two and three. This is going to be a work of art. I will get all three of these, and I'll probably get the entire thing on Collected Edition as well, because I'm that excited about it. And I am that certain that it's going to be that good. Coming in October, we also have on sale on the 5th, Nubia and the Amazons, number one. This is an ongoing... No, it's not. It's a six-issue series uh, starring Nubia, who is the new queen of the Amazons of Themyscira, um, and, of course, the Amazons that she fights with. This is going to be written by Vita Ayala and Stephanie Williams, with art by Aletha Martinez and inks by Mark Morales. They're... <laughs> that is a fantastic team. As I've mentioned already, Vita Ayala is a phenomenal writer. Stephanie Williams I've certainly seen on a number of things recently, and I only have good things to say. And uh, the two of them, two black writers... Um, giving Nubia a voice in a series of any kind. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> I never, I didn't really understand the choice of having her be queen instead of going to join the justice league. Like, uh, 
them like like Hippolyta has. Um, but maybe we'll find out why that was here and whatever it is, they're they're going to do a fantastic. They're 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 going to do her right. I can guarantee you that they're not going to half-ass this. Wonder Woman: The Adventures of Young Diana, Special Number One. It seems to be related to the Young Diana stuff that's been on the back of a number of Wonder Woman issues because it is also by Jordi Belair and Paulina Ganachow, who are the two who do that those Young Diana stories. So I guess there was enough popularity and demand for that. They're they're making it its own special. We have um, Wonder Woman number one special edition as well, which is uh, going to be a one shot by Greg Rucka with art by Liam Sharp. I love Liam Sharp stuff. Um, he's doing Batman Reptilian right now in a way that blows my goddamn mind. The art is indescribable. <laughs> It says here, celebrate 80 years of the Amazon Warrior with this special edition of the first issue of the acclaimed series. Oh, okay. By Greg Rucka and Liam Sharp. Okay. So it was just a reprint. Okay, never mind. I didn't actually read that before I put it on here. That's still exciting. Um, and then they're also going to give out, not give out, they're also going to have, um, since that is a basically going to be free to readers thing, they also have... Uh, two graphic novel previews that are called Wonder Woman Tempest Tossed and Diana Princess of the Amazons um, that are the YA graphic novels that they do. They're going to give a little preview in those. Wonder Woman 780 is going to be coming out um, on the 12th of October. It's going to be finally picking back up with Diana on Earth after all the events of Death Metal. Um, I thought she was supposed to be gone for a lot longer time. It's only been a few weeks. <laughs> they really blew stuff up in Future State and then like it was like a tsunami but then we're getting like a trickle of water in what's actually happening <laughs> uh, some other things that are happening um, around that time first couple of issues will be in October we have well, Blue and Gold, I already talked about the Blue Beetle and Booster Road series, because that's actually starting this week. Um, but later on, we have Titans United, which is one that looks really exciting because it stars, in current times, DC Comics, Nightwing, Starfire, Raven, Beast Boy, Superboy, Hawk, and Dove. A lot of reasons that that is a really cool group to be interacting with at this point in history. Um, I'm very curious how it's going to turn out. It's written by Kevin Scott, with art by Jose Luis and Jonas Trinidad. Also, we have, it'll be the second issue in October, so probably starting in September, is Aquaman The Becoming. It is six issues of Jackson Hyde becoming Aquaman, potentially leading up to his part of Future State that we saw in the Future State comics, uh, Aquaman. Other things that are going to be continuing in October, Batman Reptilian, Batcat, Harley Quinn the Animated Series, Eat Bang Kill Tour, there is going to be a Pennyworth 7-issue series that will be going at that point. Uh, the Robin series, Static Season 1, Wonder Girl number 6, um, which, by the way, number 6 is going to be written by Joel Jones with art by Leila De Del Duca and a cover by Matteo Scalera and a variant by Art Germ. So a lot of good stuff to pick up that for. Um, and then finally, apparently Throg is supposed to be coming back... Um, in Thor in a couple of issues and Batgirl has a new outfit which I don't like I'm sorry I like the gray I don't like the purple because the guy who designed the original purple outfit they had him draw her very very like 
teenaged and he turned out to be a pedophile. So you see why it's like, eh, I don't really like that suit because it's why it was. And they kind of have gone back to basically with that suit. It's not very different from it. <laughs> I think the one that she had was stupendously thought through, but what do I know? Apparently. <laughs> uh, let's let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast today with some talk about the Hasbro Haslabs. For $400 today, you too can own, or rather purchase in advance, a Marvel's Hasbro's Galactus action figure that is going to be like four, three, three feet tall. At least last year they put out the Sentinel, which was a really big deal and everyone was really excited for. And the people who backed that Kickstarter blew them so far out of the water that they couldn't even keep up with the amount of people who wanted it. They thought it was going to stop at a certain number of backers, but it kept going. And <laughs> and they ended up kind of honestly petering off in the end because they couldn't keep up with it and they didn't give us enough rewards, in my opinion. But... They had a whole year to think about it after designing Galactus. I'm sure they have plenty of additional rewards that they're going to be tacking on this one. Um, but that's what the regular Marvel Legends HasLab is going to be for Hasbro, of course, is Galactus. However, there is another one that is coming for the Star Wars stuff under Black Series. An employee slipped up and admitted that this was going to be the thing that they were going to do. It is a Rancor. <laughs> Not sure why, but they're doing a Rancor for the Hasbro Black Series HasLab. <laughs> that should be announced either later this summer or this fall. The Sentinels, if you ordered them last year, will be arriving probably in August, uh, which will be around the time the Galactus Kickstarter is kaput, and you will no longer be able to sign up for that. And you should also know that the Sentinels are selling, even though they have yet not to arrive, they are selling for $1,000 on eBay. If you happen to buy two, <laughs> go ahead and get rid of one for some cash. The Sentinels were about $350. The Galactus is going to be $400. So um, I'm expecting quality to match that. <laughs> Whenever I do get my Sentinel in, you bet your ass I'm doing an unboxing video. Before we really finish things up here for the podcast today, I said that I wanted to make a few comments on why my situation changed so quickly. Um, <laughs> uh, my husband and I have been living at my with, <laughs> on my parents' property. We'll just say that on my parents' property for the past since last April. Um, didn't want to do that. We thought we would be gone by Fourth of July last year, <laughs> um, and the relationship just got increasingly worse and worse. Um, and through therapy and things like that, I have kind of <laughs> come to the realization that I have a narcissistic mother and, um, that is a lot of the reason why I have gone in certain directions in my life is because, um, I was kind of doing things that would make her happy subconsciously, um, uh, making up excuses for why I would want to do it when, when it comes down to it. I didn't just, I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't me, but I was trying to fit into that mold. And that's something that I just wanted to bring up because it is something that if you are someone who has been in any kind of relationship with a narcissist, um, it's something I've heard a lot of in the past couple of days is people who kind of escape narcissists will look back on the periods of time where they were like kind of under that person's thumb, so to say, and recognize 
that they were not acting in a way that they themselves would normally act and that they were changing things to make the narcissist happy and to fit into what the narcissist wanted them to be. And that is 100% what my college experience is. Looking back, um, I was a creative writing major and I changed it to hospitality management because my parents got excited when I told them about that. Um, literally everybody I ever told about that said, you, hospitality, you hate people. I do. I don't like talking to people. I don't like talking to strangers. I'm an introvert. I like staying home. Why would I have been a hospitality major? Well, going through a lot of my luggage from storage from college, as we unpack here with my husband the past few days, um, it's been eye-opening. I, I was... I'm, I'm unpacking clothing that I gag at when I see now that I have been able to separate myself from that narcissist's mindset and what they wanted for me. <laughs> um, but anyway, my point with all of this is I'm sorry that um, my own personal life issues got in the way of this podcast being completed on time on a regular basis. That is not something that is going to be normal. Um, and moving forward, I will do certainly what I can to avoid any of that happening um, by any means necessary. So um, thank you again for continuing to listen to the podcast in whichever form you do for however long you do. I really do appreciate it. If you do want to support the podcast, you can do so on the on the Sensational She Geek Patreon or just share it, post it, link it, um, you know, like and subscribe and do all that kind of stuff so that we can get a bigger audience. I will be back this coming Friday, the 23rd of July. We're already getting towards the end of the month, where we'll be discussing the comic book pick list, things that I really enjoyed from this week's comics. I will also be enjoying and discussing the comic, the um, the Loki behind-the-scenes featurette that they'll be putting up on Disney Plus on Wednesday, in case there's anything really cool that comes from that, and whatever else in comics and pop culture news we may have between now and then. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate your support in whichever way you can give it. Have an excellent week. Be nice to people and receive the good energy that the world is giving to you.